Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 108 with Jim Bob Williams, Katie B, and special guest, ventriloquist, Bonita Joy Yoder. Yay! Welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. And we're here today with a lawyer who's big into the uh, field of therapeutic humor. And so without further ado, let's welcome Benita Joy Yoder. Yay! Hello, and it was nice to meet both of you in person a couple of months ago. Yeah. And welcome to AATH. We're so happy you're here with us. Happy to be here, too. You have a fascinating backstory, and I, I just love it when I see people move professions. It's a most people don't think of lawyers as particularly funny. Well, let's see. Once upon a time, there was a lawyer named Benita Joe, and uh, every day she did legal stuff until one day. One day, he remembered when she was a young lawyer in divorce court, and the judge said, when pronouncing his judgment, <laughs> I believe I've done a good job when both parties leave unhappy. Oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. And then she thought to herself, especially whenever she had this memory over the years, why couldn't the goal be to have both parties leave happy, at least a little bit happy, instead of focusing on having them <laughs> both leave unhappy? And that's a true story. I know you were doing the once upon a time improv game, but that's actually a true story. Wow. Wow. Yeah, why can't, why can't things be win-win? Uh, right. right. And that's the focus dispute resolution. But back then, now I became licensed as an attorney in, I believe, the fall of 1978. I got out of law school that uh, May and took the bar. And the thing is, lawyers were even resistant to mediation back then. They didn't like it. They thought it was going to way their business that has all shifted in the last 40 years almost that's amazing to think of that it's been that long but mediation was extremely controversial and now judges love it because it helps get cases off of their docket and uh it, it there's not that concern anymore about it. it's going to take away money from the lawyers bonita we didn't bring it up but you actually do something other than lawyering at the moment. What is it? That could be answered in a number of different ways, but I am a recovering attorney turned edutainer. I have cycled back to the love of my youth. When I was 16, I taught myself ventriloquism and I'm now speaking, emceeing, and using ventriloquism to bring in healthy doses of humor as part of when I'm appearing for something else, whether it be on, you know, in person or whether it be at a virtual summit or 
podcast. It's been said that Edgar Bergen became very sloppy in his lip movement uh, during that time because nobody saw him. It wasn't like the vaudeville or Chautauqua shows or whatever where you were in person, but he sure did have a following. Oh, hi, everyone. I'm Ruby. Yes, Ruby. Ruby, you heard them talk about me being a lawyer. Oh, yeah, she's a liar. Not a liar, Ruby, a lawyer. What's the difference? A different Ruby, what's it like? Well, I don't, I could, if I were old enough, I could be a member of the Flamingo Club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, question, Ruby, what's it like having somebody put words in your mouth? You know, people think that lawyers and ventriloquists are really far apart, don't have much in common, but you know, they both are practiced at putting words into other people's mouths. <laughs> I'm working on a little, uh, about a five minute routine about the differences and similarities between lawyers and ventriloquists, you know, things like that. Like, like they're not as different as you think they are. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, Ruby, is she one of your main characters? Yeah, I'm the cutest. She is one of my main. <laughs> it's funny. I've, I've had people ask if she was made to be my inner child or me as a child. And she wasn't. But uh, I did have dark as a child. Actually, I was born with a head full of curls. You were kinky, Ruby. And she's just, uh, she's just I, delightful. I like her. And I've got her cohort that I often have around the same time as Sammy. And I'll bring him up. Hey, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? I, I'm waking you up, Sammy. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, Jim, Bob, and Katie D. Yes. I'm Sammy. And Sammy is Yo, very proud his hair ah his orange hair you know i had that color for a little while once did you oh, run for president too oh no i did not <laughs> did you i'm going to i'm going to announce my candidacy for what president of what the united states of america but sammy you're just a puppet and your point is so good so ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. We have an announcement. First ever candidate to announce their candidacy on Laughbox. So thank you, Sammy. We appreciate this. I'll vote yeah, for you, Sammy. And you can send money to the Sammy, Sammy. You so you you uh, are you running as one of the two parties? I'm all for the two party system. Yeah. Two parties tonight, two parties tomorrow. Or you know. Uh, there was a tea party. Um, I think I'm into the coffee party. Yeah, coffee? And don't complain about your coffee unless you have sufficient grounds. That's a lawyer joke. Oh, yeah, I got so it. Oh, good. That's when I'm bad. Don't tell Santa. Anyway, I have just so many characters. And I have the dog puppet, too. Dog is a... Uh, well, you can see he's got his black suit coat on. That is dog, D-A-W-G. What do you do for a living dog? I'm a lawyer. Really? Who do you uh, have for your ideal client? Dogs. You 
Birds and dogs are the dog wall. Well, what kind of cases? Peeing on a fire hydrant, all those things they get accused of. What kind of breed of dog are you? I'm a Dalmatian. See all my spots? Wow. Yes. Do you think being a dog gives you a leg up on the competition? Uh, yes, it does. <laughs> As he raises a leg. <laughs> anyway, it's so fun because here's a thing. A lot of times people think of puppets as your children or I don't think that's as true as it was when I started but there's often that association of oh we could have you come do something for the kids and the thing is that I love I love working with with big kids the ones in adult bodies who have little kids inside them because I think it's so important to, you know, have other avenues in all of our serious times in the world. And think about some of the well-known ventriloquists today. Take Jeff Dunham. He packs thousands. I've been to his shows where in arenas that hold 12,000, 15,000. And a lot of his material, or I shouldn't say a lot, but some of his material is a little on the blue side. It might mm -hmm. not be that you would take real young kids there yeah. that's just an example though that this that's not just for kids right yeah. and speaking of jeff there's something else i want to mention we hear a lot about cancellation wokeness or and people yeah. are afraid to be funny sometimes today or afraid they have to censor themselves more because of the, the quote, cancel culture, and they don't know what they could say. But it's interesting, because I saw Jeff one time come out during the campaign with Clinton and Trump mm -hmm. with a two-headed ventriloquist figure. He calls them dummies. A lot of ventriloquists won't. But, and he, he had a little preamble where he said, look, I know everyone here has different beliefs, and I'm not here to try to convince. My goal is to offend everybody equally. Maybe it's kind of like the judge who said, I want to make both parties unhappy. <laughs> but he had equal time, you know, there was Trump and Hillary, the head. But I thought it was so clever having a two-headed ventriloquial figure. And mm -hmm. then they could go back and forth and I didn't know when a, when a program was over, when the show was over, I had no idea what party it was registered to, but, you know, I just, I thought it was funny how, and, and clever how he approached it because he made as much fun at, you know, as as at Clinton and vice versa. Anyway. Yeah. Using a figure, I guess I, I won't use the P word, that, that figure have the freedom to say stuff that a human can't? That's part of the reason I like them. I love just having an avenue where anything irreverent could be said and you get by with it. In fact, I've got a ventriloquism routine and it's it's called the Three Secrets of Ventriloquism, I believe, and it's on YouTube. But one of the things I open up with is saying, would you like to be able to speak your mind and not be held responsible? And my puppet goes, yes. And people are like, yeah, they nod their head. And then I go, then I invite you to learn ventriloquism and go on to talk about three of the quote secrets of ventriloquism, mouth movement, and at the end, come back and say, 
Would you like to speak your truth and not be held responsible? We invite you to learn ventriloquism. You know, a call back at the end. I did that the first time at a nerd night program. I created it for that. And it turned out to be a good way to open and end it. At nerd night, if you don't know. Yeah, is around, I was just get ready to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. It just don't be nerd, N-E-R-D, and then night, N-I-T-E. It's in different towns across the United States. I don't know, maybe other countries, so I haven't looked. But where I live, it's once a month. And people come up and talk. They get 15 minutes or so to deliver on a topic. And there's actually a lot of professors. I live in a university town. There's a lot of professors could come in and talk about whatever their research topic is or dissertation topic, and they show PowerPoints. And then there's there's a few minutes at the end for questions and answers, but they have what they call shorts that are just about five minutes long. And so I did a short on ventriloquism. And then you know what the first question I got asked afterwards on questions and answers? And it's almost always the first question I get asked. What's that? Any yeah. idea? Mm. How do you do that? How did you get started doing that? You know, what in the world <laughs> made yeah. me become a that's usually the first question I get asked. So I don't know if your listeners are interested in that. This listener is. I think, yeah, me too. All right. When I was about five, I was at a family reunion talent show on my mother's side. My older cousin, Clinton Detweiler, walked up front holding this wooden ventriloquial figure named Woody. A wooden figure <laughs> named Woody. <laughs> Original, right? Anyway, he sets this figure on his lap and starts talking and they're talking to each other and people are laughing and I'm thinking, what is this? This is really interesting. Is that guy real? Is Woody real? And I was just so intrigued because Woody seemed so real to me and yet there was something that made me think that maybe he wasn't really real as a person. Although he was very lifelike and that stayed with me. I remembered that image for years. And finally, when I was 16, I checked a book out from a library by Paul Winchell called Ventriloquism for Fun mm. and Profit. Spent hours in front of the mirror while kids were outside playing softball or doing other things and practice. And I started by just reading the newspaper. We had actual physical newspapers in, right? And the books that alternate lines. So I'd read a line in my voice and the next line in ventriloquism voice. So you learn to alternate and then you'd work on the lip movement before you ever brought a puppet in. And that was it. But my father was a Mennonite minister and he had a sister who thought ventriloquism was of the devil, or I probably would have learned it earlier because I was intrigued about it for years. But I actually waited till my father died two weeks before my 16th birthday. And it was after that, that I actually pursued it because I was no longer under the shadow of the microscope of being a PK, preacher's kid. Yeah. Okay. So we have this thread of love of puppetry at a young age, right. then an aspiring lawyer, then becoming a little bit uh, disillusioned by the uh, justice system, such as it is. So who did you go out and try to, uh, you know, speak to first? What was your first paid gig? My first paid gig was more mad magic than ventriloquism. I started doing magic tricks a little bit. And well, I remember in fifth grade, I did a disappearing wand trick and the teacher had me come after class and wanted me to tell him how it was done. And that was breaking a big rule of ethics. You're not supposed to give away your secrets. And 
I just, but I also wanted to be an A student. And I remember just being so, <laughs> and uh, anyway, I think I didn't tell him. I think I took the risk of, of that because it seemed like the ethics code was bigger than the other, but that was my first big ethical decision. <laughs> and I started doing birthday parties when I was a teenager, about half hour shows. I do about five minutes of ventriloquism, the beginning and the ending with two different puppets and about 20 minutes of magic in between. And I like the kind of comedy stuff and, and having audience people come up and I joined the Wizards of Wichita Magic Club, the International Brotherhood of Magicians in Wichita, Kansas. And now I'm a member of Ring IBM 129, IBM Ring 129, which is in Kansas City, Missouri. So I, I still retain my love of magic and I have a lot of magic props and a lot of magic books. In fact, I, I won first book collection award when I was in law school through a University of Kansas thing where I submitted my collection of magic books and they were on display at the at the big library for a month. But I I focus more on the ventriloquism. It's more unique and I love living. But I do bring magic in occasionally when speaking, you know, especially if there's a way I can tailor or illustrate a point with a magic trick. So when did you make the transition from, you know, humor as entertainment, hmm. you know, ventriloquism, magic, humor as entertainment to applying humor to, you know, to solve pro solving problems or help solve problems? I was... Uh, about to emerge as a speaker right before COVID started, oh. but I saw this opportunity with the the box that I see my head in right now. <laughs> yeah. I had Zoom box, and I realized that my head and a puppet head fit really well into a virtual screen, yeah. and started speaking at virtual summits. And the idea was more, my idea was not to entertain so much as to get a message across mm. what is called edutainment or some people call infotainment. Mm. And it was more, I didn't use therapeutic exactly, but it was more like a, a, a message. You know, the idea of when I was a kid in church, they used to have children's stories sometimes or yep. children's sermons yep. and then they had what they call object lessons sometimes or somebody bring up you know some pine cone from nature and use it to, as a metaphor for a story yep. and yep. they actually have what is called gospel magicians but it's funny because the magic I got started on earlier in ventriloquism because it wasn't frowned on as much I think maybe because of the object lesson idea but the the idea of using whatever it is to get a point across and even even my puppets can be tools if you want to think of them that way of delivery you're calling me no no you just hushed down they're, they're a little excited but the thing is that it it's like i have a talk halt the hecklers in your head where we talk about the hecklers, which are those inner judges, you know, yeah. I'm good enough, whatever. And then I go through that with three and, and three ways to work with that, you know, first to recognize it, resist it, reframe it. And it's it's not so much funny, 
there, there's a short version of it on YouTube, or I think it was at the International Women's Day, which was an event out of uh, Singapore a couple of years ago during COVID, but we did it virtual. And if someone Googles International Women's Day in my name, that will come up. That's not my YouTube channel, but the idea is not so much to entertain as to help get it illustrate and get a point across and then there, are, there is humor in it like yeah. i say ruby uh the three r there's the the three r's are what you can use to deal with the hecklers in your hand and she's like the three r's let's just bring her up here you mean reading or writing no no not that it's anyway so i intersperse little things in there and people will listen more and retain more when you use humor, just like in the old days when Southwest Airlines attendants used to be funny. Yeah. I loved flying Southwest because they would sing a silly song or tell a joke, and I'd be listening for that. And I asked one of them a few months ago, how come they don't do that much anymore? And she said, we're just so stressed out with everything that yeah. you know, we just we just can't even don't have time. That I'm thinking that's when they need it even more, right? Yeah. The stress and I'd love to be a consultant for Southwest to go back to their roots, you know, who they were with the fun. But uh but I think I we guess. should have a letter writing campaign to Southwest, you know, yeah. Bring that back. That's true. That was their brand. That was yeah, it was. And it's like, uh, where is it? <laughs> and this thing about unruly passengers or whatever. Yeah. And in fact, it's interesting. I just ran across a book the other day. I bought part of a humor collection from one of the pioneers in the field of heal humorous healing, Alan Klein. Yes. 85 years old, had lunch with him in April. But I, the box that I opened recently, Lighten Up Corporate America. This one, some of these books are out of print which is what's so lovely about it. Cause he's been in the field for like 50 years, you know, where did you even get these books? If they're laughing, they're not killing each other. <laughs> I are using humor effectively in the classroom, even if you're not funny or, and actually this is, there's a saying in comedy that comedy or humor is funnier than anything you can make up. And this yeah. actually is more true than, than, not in some ways, because I, I just ran across a video the other day on social media from a school teacher, band director, and she was telling story after story of all the things that happened in the last 20 hours. I mean, somebody broke intentionally the strings of the French horns and somebody, you know, slammed the trumpet in somebody's face and somebody took these instruments and broke the new drum set that she worked so hard to get. And she's like, now we've got to do something about this. The teachers are leaving not because of the money so much as because it's <laughs> the kids, you, they're just so disruptive. And so I, when I saw this book, if they're laughing, they're not killing each other, you know, for using a classroom, I thought, huh, that would be interesting to get a program. And there may be one that exists for school teachers to use humor in their classrooms and, and to help uh, maybe help circumvent some of this stuff. It'd be interesting. I don't know if there's a grant for something like that or not, but. We need to find one. Because you don't have to be funny, you know, or comedian to use humor. Yeah, that's the thing. 
people ask me a lot, I've done some speaking on virtual summits about using humor to leverage your business. And probably the most common question I get asked there is, can you learn to be funny? Or, you know, is it something you have to have a natural gift for? You have to be born funny because there's this idea. Well, and I've run into this in ventriloquism. A lot of times people think, oh, maybe you're born with a freak throat. And I say, no, it's like playing a musical instrument. Practice, baby, practice, right? And with humor, I say, yeah, you can develop your humor muscle. And part of it is setting the intention. You know, I wrote an article once on creating a, uh, embracing a humorous mindset how to embrace your humorous mindset. I think something like that was a title. And it was that, I mean, first of all, off is to choose it. And when I talk to speakers, a lot of times they'll say, oh, I, I never even thought about it. I never even thought about trying to be funny or, mm-hmm. or using humor. And so that's the first step is to make that choice to incorporate more into your life or your speaking or whatever it is. And just mm-hmm. to be intentional about it. And then you start noticing all these things. It's like, oh, I'm looking at a green Prius or whatever. I just made that up. But then you start noticing green Priuses on the road everywhere. And once you start deciding to be funny, or wherever you're starting, then you start noticing it more where other people are using humor. So you're a big fan of the humor journal, aren't you? Mm. Well, I created something called a humor journal. And that was before I, I don't think I'd even heard of the association, the ATH, Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor at the time. I was in a National Speakers Association Speakers Academy. And the dean of that said to me, you know, you might be interested in this association. And it turns out she was in the same chapter as Chip Lutz. So that's how she knew about it. And that's how I found out about that. But back to your question, I wanted to create something to give to people and then have a way to stay in contact or communication through email with them. And I came up with a humor journal with 10 humor writing prompts and, you know, just kind of help observe things during the day. And uh, in fact, I can tell people how to get that if you Please do. Okay. You go to joy.funandfunnier.com. That's joy, which really is my middle name, joy.funandfunnier.com. And then you can download the humor journal. But but the idea is, I mean, really, it's observe the things that are happening in your daily life. I mean, maybe your kids or grandkids are saying funny things and things happen at work. Were you a funny lawyer? You know, when I started out, I was one of three or four women attorneys in town, mm-hmm. and women attorneys were kind of novel at that point. Yeah. I mean, 25% of our class was female. Now, I think half or more of, yeah. of classes has really changed a lot, but I was very self-conscious about being a female in a male world, and so I was... I was pretty straight in court as far as not using humor a lot. Now, at the bar meetings, maybe I did. I remember, I probably shouldn't share this, but I remember one time at the at the bar association monthly dinner meeting, they always passed around this box of cigars, which I thought was just kind of interesting. You know, this box of cigars. 
And so one time I, I took a tampon to the meeting, but when the box came to me, I stuck it in the box of cigars, maybe more than one. I kept passing it. I, I don't really know what happened, but I'm sure I, I probably didn't know what to say. The thing is, the lawyers drank, a lot of them drank pretty heavy at that bar meeting. Maybe they didn't even know what, <laughs> which, which, by the way, is a serious issue in the legal profession, is substance abuse. It's, mm -hmm. it's a very serious issue. Alcoholism and then uh, cocaine as a drug of choice, too. And in the more recent years, bar associations have come out with wellness emphasis. Like they'll give, a lot of them will give uh, two hours, or well, not the bar association, but the state mm -hmm. that regulates orders will give two hours of continuing legal education credit for wellness, life work balance. In fact, I even was in one where somebody taught a little bit of meditation. And my goodness, 40 years ago, you would have been laughed out of the room if you talked about meditation. So it's really, really changed. And I also find, especially at the women attorneys conferences, they are seem to eat this kind of thing up. And I, but I, the, the men are coming around too, you know, at, at there. And I almost got hired to go speak about wellness or to speak about wellness to uh, at a bar association training out of state because that is something where humor is part of wellness in my mind i mean humor is part of you know having resilience having an emotional well-being and having a stress relief so tell us about some of the presentations you've made and some of the presentations well, there there was a big internet marketer who contacted me one time asking if I'd bring a puppet in to just kind of introduce his offer that he was selling. You know, it's one of these things where you have, you tend for five or so many days, of, or a free challenge, and, and then there's an upsell at different levels of silver, gold, platinum, all that internet marketing. And, but this fellow was not a real well-known internet marketer when I ran across him in a Facebook group that he started at a training during COVID, but he became business with a well-known marketer, but he remembered me from doing little videos. I'd have little pop-up videos in this Facebook group mm -hmm. and he contacted me, you know, I don't know, you're too later about coming on with a puppet before he made his offer or at the beginning of his making his offer. And later, the next speaker on that virtual stage, it was virtual, was Les Brown. And the ending speaker that day was Tony Robbins. So this really was proud of, of internet workers. Now, Tony probably doesn't know that I was on that stage, right? Because he was way later, we were in by Zoom. But I'm just saying he saw the power of that, that you could use something novel and humorous to help introduce an offer and sales. One person, her podcast is about healing. She's told me a couple of times that the interview with me had more viewers than any of the other podcasts that she's done. And her audience was healers and coaches who work in transformation and that kind of thing. So healing comes in so many forms i mean it could be the hospital dog lying on your tummy when you're a kid in the hospital it could be the hospital clown that comes through 
Patch Adams. It could be, you know, watching the funny movies like Norman Cousins did to help heal. And then he wrote that book, The Anatomy of an Illness. But I see humor as as healing and it's free. Yeah. Uh, no side effects? No side effects. Oh, by the way, something I didn't mention is lawyers have the second or third highest rate of depression of professions. And they wow. it both ways. But the top three are supposed to be dentists, lawyers, and veterinarians. Those are some of the highest paid professions. Highest. Uh, uh, well, but money doesn't have to do with depression, right? No. Right. But but it's interesting that it's it those is. three. Yeah. I hadn't even, yeah, that's right. Dentists, yeah. well, I can, you know, people don't like dentists much putting stuff in their mouth and veterinarians have to put animals to sleep and I can see that being stressful. But lawyers, I think with lawyers, it's it's the ad adversarialness of the system, mm. you know, litigating and trying to find the worst. I mean, I know one person, she was an assistant district attorney and she said, the occupational hazard for her is everybody she meets is a criminal, right? They just haven't been caught yet. And so it's, it affects how you view the world. If you're a divorce attorney, it's like there's no such thing as a good relationship. You know, they're all putting on a facade to the world with their white picket pants, but behind the scenes, it's, it's you know, a different story. So it affects your perception of the world and it, and it can make it in a, in a, negative tint. And that's one thing I didn't prefer about the legal profession is, you know, this thing of, of winning and beating the other person down and getting even and being right. And, you know, the, it's sort of almost sometimes a ruthlessness of it because the civility, you mentioned Jim Bob right before we started that you think you interviewed my brother, John Yoder, a judge in West Virginia. And before that, a a politician you think you interviewed him about civility and that's a huge topic huge topic because in law like politics that civility doesn't exist as it used to no. you know and uh anyway that's a whole nother thing yeah it really is um you know actually you'd be surprised how little dentists make because it's really a hand-to-mouth existence Really? That that dentist? I just yeah. heard last week from a speaker. Uh, oh, uh -huh. Yeah. That's, okay. The punchline was it's a hand-to-mouth existence. Oh, oh yeah, I read. Ah, yes, that delay. Okay. Yes, but it's actually interesting because I I heard a speaker last week who made her career speaking to dental associations, and she was not a dentist, but that was her whole career speaking and training about you know, customer service and that yep. kind of thing. And she said, nowadays, dentists come out with uh, as much as $300,000 student loans. Yeah. That's interesting. I actually have a tooth puppet. I don't have it here in hands reach, but I have a puppet, the shape of a tooth. And we go talk about the tooth, the whole tooth, and nothing but the tooth. <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> so, so uh, you're new in the Humor Academy <clears throat> and new to AATH. Can you mm -hmm. give a minute about how the conference was for you and how the Humor Academy is going and, and your thoughts? Sure. Well, here's how I got to the conference. There was, uh, I got an email. There was some scholarship thing for this AATH Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor Conference, which 
I saw, I don't know, about an hour before the deadline. And I just thought, oh, what the heck? I can write whatever, <laughs> several hundred words, I have 250 or 500, what it is. So I thought I could dash that out pretty quick. And I uh, wrote something and submitted it and forgot about it. Then about a month later, I got an email saying, congratulations, you've been awarded a scholarship to this conference. And I'm like, oh, well, I wasn't going to go, but it's nice enough to give me a scholarship. I guess I better go and see what this is about. So I did. And it was it was interesting meeting a lot of people. And it's different. What, what struck me about the conference was how serious people were about humor. And when I came back and friends said, I was at humor really serious about humor. And they'd laugh thinking I was joking. I go, no, no, I'm serious. I mean, these are professors and researchers and doctors and nurses or whatever, uh, lawyers, right? <laughs> and they take it very seriously how to use it. In fact, some of the talks were kind of academic, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of, of, of the effect of humor and not, not quote, particularly funny, as you might think when you hear of a humor conference. So that was the biggest thing for me of interest. And I've only been to two Zoom meetings of the Humor Academy. There's there's a fair number of people in my cohort from Japan, which is interesting, because that was yeah. the second largest contingency at the conference, other than people from the United States. And in fact, I had a hotel roommate from Japan, oh. and it, it was interesting to me and I a lot of the things that we've had so far are are not new to me but we've only had two sessions but I think the biggest adjustment for me was I'm a practicing entertainer I guess <laughs> and so I've been to lots of yeah I've been to clown and magic conventions and ventriloquist conventions in fact I'm planning to go to one of those next month there's an annual one in Northern Kentucky every year. And, you know, they have workshops. Like one year, Jeff Dunham did one on ad-lib and he goes and does a lecture pretty much every year, but they're totally different. There's nothing about, they're not about the therapeutic or healing or clinical aspect of humor. They're more on techniques or, or just demonstrations of humor. And I love those kinds of things. So it wasn't like, funny haha so much to me right but it was I saw that the conference it was more a way of thinking or you know approaching or perspective than necessarily getting up there and doing humor techniques that's a great insight yeah I love it so Thank you. question if someone wants a, a program on edutainment hmm. how would they get in contact with you well, I'm on a number of social media platforms. I'm on Facebook and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm being more active on Instagram. I'm putting up little short reels. But my email is benitajoyspeaker at gmail.com. That's B-O-N-I-T-A-J-O-Y speaker at gmail.com. And of course, they can get the free humor journal at joy.funandfunnier.com. I also have a website, BenitaJoyYoder.com, although I may be, I may be rebranding that oh, okay. because I've always felt like Yoder doesn't go with Benita Joy. I mean, it seems like it's kind of stuck on there, right? And I love Benita Joy. And I, I'm not well known enough to be an Oprah or Ellen, a one word, but <laughs> maybe I'll <laughs> put 
the two word, right? Bonita Joy, because Bonita means pretty or beautiful in Spanish. I'm not Spanish, but the idea of beautiful joy, that's part of my vision for the world is to have people experience everyday moments of joy laughter and lightheartedness in their workplaces and their relationships and their daily lives regardless of the external circumstances and that's so beautiful joy what better what better sort of affirmation can you have for a vision like that awesome yeah i love it the more we do that the you know i mean this is all part of joy first for my project too but Let's all do it, you know, let's all do it. And we can see what change it makes. Yes. I remember those exercises and experiential workshops, you know, where there was one I did years ago on loving presence and you would, you would pair up with somebody and look into each other's eyes for a certain amount of time. That can actually be uncomfortable at first, right? Mm -hmm. That you drop into that. So it's interesting because it's like, that would be interesting as an experiment. When is eye contact, when does it shift from uncomfortable to connection or, and when, and it does it, and that would be the person and, and to connection and join connection is what so many people are missing during the isolation of the pandemic was connection. Yeah, that's great. And I want to attribute a little bit of the, the first time I read about eye contact and having that be something to motivate us was from the Celestine Prophecy book. In the oh, 90s. yeah. James Redfield. We're in the book. Yep. So anybody that you happen to make eye contact with by chance was someone that you needed to connect with and talk to. And I think today that's such even a bigger opportunity than it was in the 90s after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And You know, it's anywhere- interesting. Go ahead. I go down to the post office and mail things and stuff all the times. And, and the post office and library may have unhoused people hanging around, especially the library. And I was saying to a friend one time, why is, and I say unhoused because that's the politically correct term now, what we said homeless, right? Right, but, right. But I said back before we had the term of unhoused, I said, how come so many homeless people talk to me when I go to these places? Because sometimes I'm in a hurry and I get in these conversations. And this friend said, because you look them in the eye. And I thought, oh, oh yeah, I do. And yeah, that's exactly what you're talking Sometimes I get really long conversations, but I think too, in the practice of law, I had a particular, I didn't realize it, you know, for many years, but I think one of my gifts was seeing the humanness in the other person, regardless of what they were accused of. You know, I remember once having a a teenage client who was charged with killing a rel- with murdering a relative. That's that's an intense thing. And yet I could be there in the jail cell and looking this person in the eye and I saw like a scared boy. You know what I mean? And 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 I didn't see the monster murderer if that's if the person would say there's a presumption of innocence, but I saw this this kind of scared little boy, you know? And 
and I and I'd be appointed to represent somebody charged with something and somebody sometimes people get mad and say how can you represent somebody charged with assault or whatever when I was on the appointment list in my early years you didn't have a choice I'd go down the list and you'd, you'd get appointed but I would always look for I could see oh this is a talented musician I mean they say he's crazy some people but he's he's got all these songs he's written you know and there's just it's what's the human connection and we are all I I don't know there's different philosophies about duality and good and bad and light and evil and all that that we all have our shadow side right and so it's it's it, it's we all have our strengths and our limitations you could say somebody is really smart and maybe they're really smart in the area of science but not very smart in other areas right we make these blanket statements but the strengths and limitations and so this person may have a real strength in songwriting playing guitar and singing and yet be lighting fires and digging tunnels because of people out to find him and talking about the wires and the trees uh or whatever the traps that are being set and it's 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 so fascinating to me all of that human behavior but i think i have a gift for seeing the what you would say the strength of a person or some people would say the good or positive side if they believe in in duality and that's what helped me in law practice whereas some lawyers i mean you know they may have trouble seeing anything they like about their clients if they're appointed right but they still have to represent i mean i it sounds strange but if you're appointed and you're not picking your clients, you may not like your client, right? So right. I would have to find a way, or or I got I got appointed to represent parents charged or uh, where this claim they were sexually abusing their children, and I was the third attorney. This was years ago, and I went in to the <laughs> judge's assistant. I said, "How do I get all these colorful cases?" And it's on my rotation list. They go down the list and she looks at me and says, Benita. The judge looks down the list and goes, who can handle these people? Oh, Benita can. Wow. <laughs> I think that was part of what I started realizing that I, because in the legal system, they deserve representation. But if your own attorney has a lot of judgment about you and can't as effectively represent you, then, then that's, yeah, uh, that's a whole different tangent of us. But I do my story about going in the courthouse one time. I was going into the courthouse through security. You know, they've got three uniformed guards. And I turn and I say, do we taxpayers really need to spend money for three of us just to get inside the courthouse? This middle-aged uniformed fellow, Randy, turns and says, Benita. It takes three of us just to corral you. And I laughed, and I said, do they teach you to use humor when you go through law enforcement training? And he said, no, but they should. Because those of us who do, when we're interrogating people, now listen up, you know, they're in interrogation, right? When we use humor, it breaks the ice, it establishes rapport, it makes them trust us more and we get more information out of them. Wow. So 
Wow, isn't that something? So think about it. Next time you get stopped by a funny cop, and I just turned to him and I said, you know, I speak about this, but that's the whole thing right there. That's it. Case closed. Mm. I mean, and, and so I believe they should have humor training in law enforcement too, right? Although. Well, I, I may have said the story before, but my father-in-law was a New York City police officer. Okay. And uh, he was about, oh, five, eight, five, nine. And he had a partner that was like 6'2 and built like a linebacker. Uh, they would get called into domestic violence situations. Mm -hmm. But my, my father-in-law do, he said, he tells his partner, give me your hat. And they switch hats. Okay. So when they open the, you know, when they knock on the door, policeman, and they open the hat, what they see is short cop, tall cop. You know, what the short cop's got a hat that's almost covering his eyes. The shut the tall cop's got this little thing that almost looks like a beanie, and it totally disarmed this and reduced the tension in the domestic violence situation. I and, love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. That's a uh, perfect example because you know, people think, oh, if I use humor, they won't take me as seriously. That's one of the big myths, or I can't use it in a serious situation. But like there, you have police and domestic violence. In my situation, we had courthouse, security, a lawyer, uniformed, armed officers. And yet, you know, here we had this humor. Oh, I had two humor instances at TSA uh, back to back the city and one in Denver. And I loved it. I mean, again, this is a serious setting. You don't think of TSA officers as joking. So I'm in line and the TSA officer saying, as we're getting ready to put our items in the bins for security, all electronics was going to separate bin, your iPads, your laptops, your microwaves. And I went, did he just say that? <laughs> and I, I listened to everything you said after that, right? It's like the, the old Southwest Airlines. Things. And then in in Denver, it was late at night, and there was this guy making these announcements. Be sure to retrieve your objects when the, the bin comes out the other side, because inanimate objects have a way of walking away from you. And you know, and he was just going up. And I went up to him and I said, "You are really funny," because he just kept announcing all these things. And he says, "Shh, don't tell HR, or I might lose my job." But I mean. These are just examples about how humor could be used. And if you're speaking and have a really serious topic or talking about cancer or, I don't know, abuse or whatever, sometimes that humor can be a respite mm. and it will help get your point across and make you more memorable. But anyway, that's that's my thing about humor being able to be used in serious situations. If you could give one piece of advice to someone on how to use humor on Thursday. Like how do you? on Thursday. Just an ordinary day in the week and you know how can you use humor? That's funny. I do a Facebook live on Wednesday afternoon called Wondrous Whimsical Wednesday but <laughs> so let's think about a terrific Thursday. How can you use humor? I, I To me it's like look for the funny that just happens around you. If something happens that seems like an adverse situation stop and ask yourself well first take a breath yeah <laughs> second take another breath third <laughs> keep breathing and ask yourself what can what if i were looking back on this five years from now what would be funny about this you know yep. and 
And because it's easier to see stuff in hindsight than in the moment, what is the humor in this that actually ask yourself that? Because yeah, a lot of times there is. And one other thing I want to mention, Jim Bob, is my latest project is to make personalized ventriloquism videos for special occasions. Okay. Mm, like I yeah. for Father's Day, but doing some for birthdays. And I say, hey, if you have a person in your life that they have everything, yes, that's not going to end up in the landfill, then that's that's a perfect gift for you know wedding anniversary, yep. graduation, employee acknowledgement, whatever. It's something. Give them an experience. Okay. Benita, we want to thank you and Ruby and Sam and Dog and uh, and the player to be named later. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, where yeah. exactly are you physically located? In a chair. A chair. Oh, I get my mail in Lawrence, Kansas. I spend part of the year, I actually go back and forth between Lawrence, Kansas and Boulder County, Colorado. So I'm kind of a, a bi-locator. Okay. And actually I have, oh, I get mail <laughs> both places, but, yeah. and yeah, I can fly. I've got arms. Oh, <laughs> right. I appreciate being here. And this has been fun. We talked about law more than Thank I you. anticipated. That's but how these things almost always there, go. They're, I think yeah. is there something uh, you'd like a topic you'd like to approach briefly that we didn't approach? Well, I I, I think lawyers could use humor in their training. So I guess my best thing would be whatever your occupation, whatever your status, whatever your profession, I invite you to find more humor into it to bring you more moments of joy and others more moments of joy. I, I like to say humor is like a gateway drug to joy. Nice. Love it. That's a great quote. All right. On behalf of Laugh Box and the ATH, thank you, Benita Joy Yoder. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you, Jim Bob and Katie B. Thank you for joining us for episode 108 with Bonita Joy Yoder, Jim Bob Williams, and Katie B. Thank you very much. It's been Laughbox, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Laughbox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.